is, is December 2nd, 2023. And my name is Tanya G and I'm a compulsive overeater. I will be your host today for um, today's study and our co-hosts are Dottie S from New Jersey, Audrey all the way from Ireland and anyone else that I've missed. So um, we will welcome you um, and thank you at the end. If you have any question during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. The chat function will be disabled until five minutes before the questions and answer session. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answers session which follows will not be recorded. We ask if you, if you can, please make sure you keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. During the meeting, we will post a link to our seventh tradition. This money goes towards the cost of our Zoom account, the cost of uploading your recordings, our recordings, and we also send contributions to our intergroup and WSO. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings that are available by clicking on the link that will be posted in the chat box. Now I turn turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Go right ahead. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you very, very much. And I'm very glad to be here. I'm just honored as I can. I know that uh, this is the Bermuda Triangle of eating. Uh, it is Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, and then New Year's. So we're right in that Bermuda Triangle of the, the grip of the disease. So to see uh, so many people here this morning uh, during the Bermuda Triangle period is very, very nice. We are in the chapter of Vision for You. And the purpose of the chapter of Vision for You is to show you graphically as they can what your life can be like without the food, without the eating that we've done. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things that I just did not understand is what is my life going to be like without the food? Because this was my recreation. This was my everything. And it is Saturday morning. And, and with Saturday night approaching, I would have my threesome. It would be me, little Debbie, and Sarah Lee. And that would be my Saturday night. And every once in a while, we would invite Ben and Jerry. We would invite Colonel Sanders. We would invite Ronald McDonald. You never knew who we were going to invite. But the, the Saturday night that I would spend was not with uh, dating or anything like that, unfortunately, it was with food. It was with uh, Doritos and it was with Chips Ahoy and it was with all this other crap. And one of the things that was very frightening for me when I first came into program is if I cannot turn to the food, I do not have the food to turn to, how am I going to live? And I really had no answer for that question. And one of the things that I needed was this chapter to teach me, to show me, um, to show me what will, could my life look like without the food. And this chapter does a beautiful job. And if you remember back uh, last week, uh, we talked about how vital sponsorship is. And Dr. Bob got sober. Now, actually, I'm going to tell you something that you won't see in the big book. Uh, he actually got sober on June 17th, not June 10th. But they weren't real good with dates. And, and neither Dr. Bob nor Bill Wilson were really good with dates. And they put June the 10th. So we recognize June 10th as Founders Day, but it was really June the 17th is the day that Bob got sober. And if you want to check that out, Google, not now, Google later on American Medical Association Convention 1935. And if you Google American Medical Association uh, convention of 1935, you will find that the convention in Atlantic City that Dr. Bob drank at did not 
end on the 10th of June. It started on the 10th of June. So Bob and Bill were not real great with dates, but in the forensic analysis that many authors have done since that time, they have ascertained that Dr. Bob's first day of sobriety was actually June 17th, not June 10th. But be that as it may, because I'm going to get to the real point of this. If you remember last week, we talked about how vital it is that we get to sponsor quickly and how vital it is that we work through the steps as quickly as we can. Now, why is that? Why don't we want a long, protracted, copious kind of process with a million questions and a million written assignments and and ancillary outside reading things and stuff like that. Why don't we want that? Well, I'll answer the question for you. Because on page 89 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it simply says, it says nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. So if something is going to give me immunity. Look at the strength of that word, immunity. It doesn't say an aversion. It doesn't say won't be tempted. It says immunity. And a few times in my life, when I was very, very young, my parents took me and they said to the doctor, stick this kid. We want him immune from uh, this and we want him immune from that. And I stuck my little tushy in the air and they gave me a shot and I cried and I was immune from different things, you know, different situations as as most of us were. I, I'm reticent to say all of us, but I, you know, most of us us were in that situation. But really and truly, immunity is such a good word because that's what I need. I need that assurance from God. I need that assurance that I will be immune to Chips Ahoy. I will be immune to Doritos. I will be immune to the temptations and the the unwe, the restlessness that those things bring into my life. It's not just that they make me fat. I just want to go on record as saying this. See, if all the food did was make me fatter, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So I would die. Okay, you know, we're all going to die. But the question remains, would I have lived? And the answer resoundingly is no. Because in each one of us, there's a dash. And there's a dash. And my dash comes after 1954, because I was born in 1954. And it says, it'll say 1954 dash. And hopefully I've got some time left because I want, there's a few things I'd like to do before I go. And hopefully I'll get a chance to do them. But the bottom line is, did I live? How did I fill the dash? How did I fill the time between the day I was born and the day that I passed from this earth? Did I live my life to the fullest? Well, if I'm serving God, I am living my life to the fullest, but I cannot serve God as effectively in the food as I can not in the food. In the food, I can't really do much for anybody because I become an eating machine. And if you're not giving me food or money for food, then I really have no use for you. So my real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. But I'm going to tell you that in order to be of maximum service to God, I have to be out of the food. I can't, I can delude myself into thinking, well, I'm a nice guy and I gave this person a ride and I did this and I said something pleasant to someone else. No, 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 no. That's just me in deep denial. The prerequisite to be of maximum service to God is that I be free of the food. And in doing so, I now am available because I have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. And we talked about Bill Dotson. 
And we talked about Bill Dotson from the standpoint and the man on the bed. You know, what I should do is switch my uh, my background from Burton Ernie to the man on the bed. And I think I'm going to do that because I want to illustrate the day that Dr. Bob and Bill came to see Bill Dotson. D-O-T-S-O-N, not D-O-B, D-O-T-S-O-N. And if you see him, he's in his undershirt on the bed. Now, there is a painting of that in uh, Stepping Stones. If you go to Stepping Stones in Westchester County, New York, and I've been there twice, you can actually see the painting. And the title of that painting is The Man on the Bed. And they're coming to see him. Now, why is that? telling me to work the steps quickly. I'll tie it together for you. You see, they came to see Bill Dotson on June 26th, 1935. And Bill Dotson was not the first person that they tried to sober up. And if we go with the dates in the big book, June the 10th, to, to June 26th is 16 days. Now I'm terrible at math, but even I can handle that one. It's 16 days. Now, that was the third person that they had tried it with. How many of you, how many of you were sponsoring doing step 12 16 days after you began your process. And very few, if any of you can honestly tell me, yes, within 16 days, I was sponsoring. But if you look at the men in the picture, there are three of them. Bill Dotson, who we're going to talk a little bit more about this morning. Bill Wilson, we're going to talk about him for sure. I don't think we've ever gone a week without talking about Bill Wilson, have we? I don't think so. I doubt it. Um, and then we're going to talk about Dr. Bob. And what do those three men have in common? Well, one of the things they have in common is they worked through the steps very quickly. And the other thing that they have in common is this. Once they had their spiritual experience or spiritual awakening, they never found it necessary to ever drink again during their life. Isn't that incredible? They went through the process quickly. They maintained their service and they never drank again. And one of the things that I see so often, because the sponsors do not encourage people to do this enough, in my opinion, this is my opinion. You see, I believe that a person that's in recovery must work past their level of effect. What does that mean? You must work harder than the level at which you have been affected by the disease. And so you have to keep doing new and different. One of the things that is very, very important is to not forget the information in chapter three. Now, in chapter three, and I'm just going to throw this out as almost a parenthetic aside. When we start on the book, we're going to start on page 159. He had three visitors. Page 159, he had three visitors. Okay, now I'll come back to what I was talking about. Richard Peabody in 1930 wrote a book, or was published in 1930, called The Common Sense of Drinking. And Richard Peabody was not uh, onto the spiritual solution for alcoholism, but he did give us a couple of pieces of information that are permanently etched into the big book. Now, there are four books that were vital to the writing of the big book. I'm going to go through them. None of them are conference approved, but I'm going to tell you what they were and who wrote them because without these books, boys and girls, there is no big book and there is no program. The first one being William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience. And William James was a psychologist. 
And as a psychologist, he attended in Glasgow, Scotland at the University of, of, Glas of, of Edinburgh, not Glasgow, of Edinburgh, Scotland, sorry, not Glasgow, Edinburgh, Scotland. In 1901, there was a conference of psychologists and they met in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and they recorded, not tape recorded in those days or filmed, they recorded in writing many of the speeches that were given, many of the stories that were told. And in this book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, it's a book about, I'm going to see if this sounds familiar to you, what these people were like, what happened to them, and what they're like now. Does that sound familiar? I bet it does. So he wrote this book down, he wrote this information down, excuse me, in a book called The Varieties of Religious Experiences. And that is the book that Ebby brought to Bill when he comes to see him on the 14th of December, 1935. And if you look at the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 13, the paragraph that says, my schoolmate visited me and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. Well, that was step five. But underneath uh, Ebby's arm, underneath his arm, was a copy of the book, The Varieties of Religious Experience. That's book number one. Book number two, The Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox. And The Sermon on the Mount was very, very important in the framing of this book as well. Now, the third very important book that has influences all over, and I'll let you in on a secret. See, I'm not a New Testament guy. I'm an Old Testament guy, but I have some secret information from somebody and they are teaching me little by little here about some of the stuff that I never suspected was from the New Testament. And I'm very appreciative for this information because I was never exposed to the New Testament at any time in my life. So she's teaching me a lot about things that I that just got by me, that just got by me. So this is interesting. But the book of James in the New Testament, that's another one. Now, the fourth one is the one we're sort of centering in on in our discussion today. And that is the, the Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody. Now, I'll give you something very tragic about Richard Richard Peabody. His book, The Common Sense of Drinking, was published in 1930. And in 1936, one year after Bill met Bob, he died of his own alcoholism. Isn't that sad that he died of his own alcoholism and the solution for alcoholism? Notice I didn't say the cure. The solution for alcoholism was right there in New York and Akron, but he died not really knowing that. He died unaware of that. Now, in the common sense of drinking, we learn that there are two characteristics of, we, we don't learn it there, we learn it from Silkworth. The two characteristics of the compulsive overeater are the twist of the mind, and the allergy of the body. But the three properties of the disease are that it is permanent, that it never goes away. Two, it is progressive. We're going to center on that. And then it is, if it's untreated, it is fatal. So let's focus in on permanent, progressive, fatal, the progressive nature. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Does our disease get worse if we're not compulsively overeating? Yes. Does our disease get worse if we are in recovery? Yes. Does our disease get worse if we're not in recovery? Yes. So no matter what you are doing or not doing, your disease of compulsive overeating is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, I believe that we must work beyond the level of our affect. However, you have been affected by this disease, 
you must work harder than the level of affect. Very important. And what doesn't happen in too many cases, and this is why in my 44 years here, I have buried friends. I have watched people get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and sicker and sicker and sicker because we settle into a service level. We settle into going to X meetings a week. We settle into making X outreach calls. We settle into talking to Mo, Larry, and Curly. We talk to them every day. There are 10-step partners. There are 11-step partners, whatever they may be. And we don't expand our horizons. And the disease is expanding its horizons every single minute of every single day. And you know, from the common sense of drinking, Bill Wilson, he takes one of the stories that was in there and he changes it a little bit. And it's the man of 30 who'd been doing some a great deal of spree drinking. And the man of 30 had been doing a great deal of spree drinking. And he decided that until he was successful in business, he would not touch another drop. And for 25 years, 25 years, he didn't touch a drop of liquor. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. Where was he in four years? Dead. He was dead. So the disease is permanent. It never goes away. Don't forget that because your life hangs in the balance. Number two, the disease is progressive. Don't forget that because your life depends on it. And number three, if untreated, this disease is 100% fatal. As it worsens, as it tightens its noose around your neck, the first things it does is it isolates you. Any abuser will isolate you first. That is the first thing. They cut you off from friends. They cut you off from family. They cut you off from a support system. And food does the very same thing because you're ashamed to see people. You're afraid to see people. You are embarrassed. You have nothing to wear. You don't look good. You don't want to see people. You're afraid of people. Your social anxieties have become greatly amplified over the time because you just don't want anybody to see how much weight you've gained. And then after it isolates you, then it starts to kill you. It makes it impossible for you to walk. It makes it impossible for you to move and exercise and enjoy your life. And when life isn't worth living, your soul will give up. Your soul, in Yiddish, it's neshuma. Neshuma is your spirit, your holiness. Your neshuma is one that wants to die rather than wants to live. How do I know that? Because that was me. The loneliness was killing me too. Now I've been many things in my life. I've been scared. I've been angry. I've been defeated. I've been ashamed. I've been embarrassed. I've been in physical pain most of my life. But the one thing I have been that is more horrible than all of those things put together is lonely. I have friends. I have dear dear friends, but I felt alone and isolated. When you serve God and when you do these things, you will never walk alone. You know, I've had several friends of mine who are physicians, and some of them have been in this program, and some of them are not in this program. But my friends all agree that there are three things one must do, not only to live longer, but to live better. Not only will you live longer, you'll live better. Eat less, move more, and have a life that includes people. And if you have a life that includes people, and you have a purpose and a rhythm that underlay all, 
And when you get up in the morning and you're something like me, where I get up in the morning and I don't have to wonder what's on my agenda today. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. You cannot tell anybody this. I'm not going to be working very much throughout most of December because December is a crappy time in my business. It's just crappy. And I'm not going to be working too much. I will have to do certain things because I own a very microscopic business. And if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. So there are things I have to go to the post office and I have to you know, do certain things, but I'm not going to be working much during December. But one of the things I have, even when I'm not working, is an extremely full life. My phone doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And I used to go to face-to-face -face meetings. Now I go to um, our Zoom meetings every day and so on. And I'm my life is full of people. My life is full of the love of people. And that keeps me going. It really keeps me going. Why does the love of people keep me going? Because it reminds me of the ultimate love. And that is the love of God. And when I help other people in this program, I am getting closer to God and further away from Cool Whip and Chips Ahoy cookies. Because when I need to find God, I will look for him and find him in the face of one of his children. I'm going to say that again. When I want to find God and I need God's help, you know how, uh, you know, just where to find somebody. Maybe you go to their favorite bar, you go to their favorite restaurant, or maybe you go to, you know, their house or something. You know how to find people sometimes. When I'm really looking for God and I need his help, I can always find him in the face of one of his children. And it just never fails. But I can't do that in the food. I just can't. I just can't do that in the food. And I have many, many, one, if you've noticed, I'm wearing a Mather t-shirt today. I went to Mather High School in Chicago. I'm wearing a Mather t-shirt today for several different reasons, but I'm wearing a Mather shirt today. I went to Mather High School in Chicago, and I have friends who went to Mather High School as well. I love them and they love me. They're wonderful. I'm so lucky to have them in my life. But the, the, the people that are close to me in an extremely unique way are the people who understand and speak the language of the heart. The people who speak and understand the language of the heart. Because you are the people that I can tell my secrets to. You are the people that I can confess my anger, fear, loneliness, selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, guilt, shame, remorse, victories, happiness. I can express these things to you and you speak the language of the heart. My friends from high school and from the old neighborhood, they're wonderful people. I love them. They love me. But I can't share with them on the level that I can share with you. And God gave me an avenue with which to share things that are in my heart and in my soul that I need to share with you. Because when I do, there's two or more people gathered together. God is there every time. And I get elevated to him and further away from a pizza, from French fries, from the crap that destroyed my life. Thank you for being who you are, because without you, I cannot recover. There are a hundred and 20 of you here, and we're right in the Bermuda Triangle of eating. We've got Thanksgiving, we've got Hanukkah slash Christmas or Christmas slash Hanukkah, whatever you want. And then we've got New Year's. This is the Bermuda Triangle of food. And yet here you are coming together this morning. I couldn't be more honored.
So thank you. Let's go to page 159. He had three visitors. So Bill Dotson is now sponsoring. Bill Dotson is now making 12-step calls. I hope I don't have to come into the back seat of our station wagon and say, hey, you got to go through the steps quickly again because this is overwhelming evidence that the quicker you get through with these steps, the better off you're going to be. It's just a fact because now Bill Dotson is carrying the message. You know, one of my heroes, this is not a secret, is Clancy Immisland. I love Clancy. I have a tie that belonged to Clancy and I'm going to bring it to Los Angeles and I'm going to wear it when I do the big book study and I'm going to be wearing Clancy's tie. I'm not only excited, I'm honored. I got contacted by one of his daughters and she uh, wrote me this very beautiful letter about how I honor her father and I honor her family. I, I, was, I, I couldn't believe I was, I was getting this letter from Clancy's daughter and she sent me one of his ties from Los Angeles and I will never, ever, ever part with that. I will never part with that. But um, Clancy says, we do not learn this program by absorbing spiritual information. We get this program by transmitting spiritual information. Uh, I'm going to say it one more time. We do not get this program by absorbing spiritual information. We get it by transmitting spiritual information. Very important. 159. He had three visitors. After a bit, he said, the way you fellas put this spiritual stuff makes sense. We're talking about alcoholics number four, Ernie Galbraith, who will eventually marry Dr. Bob's daughter. And Dr. Bob said, as he gave his daughter away, he said, it's very hard to give your daughter, Sue, to someone whose fifth step you've taken. It's very, very difficult to know all these things about this drunk son of a bitch. And now I have to give my daughter, Sue, to him. I, the way you fellas put this spiritual stuff makes sense. I'm ready to do business. I guess the old folks were right after all. So one more was added to the fellowship. But he will not stick around and, and remain sober. He will stick around long enough. And if you notice, fellowship is capitalized because it's a God-based thing. This fellowship is a product of God and his omnipotence and his work. And we're going to be talking about the fellowship uh, in, in, today and in the next little while here in the next few weeks. But Ernie Galbraith will stick around long enough to write a um, story in the first edition called The Seven Month Slip. So if you're looking for more information on Ernie Galbraith, you can look at a first edition or a book called Experience, Strength, and Hope. Experience, Strength, and Hope is an AA conference approved book. And what it simply is, I'm looking at it right now, I have it. It is a compilation of the stories from the first, second, and third editions of the big book of AA that were discontinued. So you have in your hands all of the stories that did not make it. Maybe the guys got drunk, maybe whatever, but they didn't make it. The people may have made it, but the stories did not. Okay. All this time, our friend of the hotel lobby incident remained in that town. So Bill Wilson is still in Akron, and he will leave Akron in July of 1935. He was there three months, April, May, June, and he will leave in July. He, he now returned home to New York, leaving behind his first acquaintance, Dr. Bob, the lawyer, Bill Dotson, and the devil-may-care chap, 
Ernie Galbraith. Ernie G is Ernie Galbraith. These men had found something brand new in life. Well, of course they found something brand new. It was brand new, not only in their lives, it was brand new anywhere on earth. Though they knew they must help other alcoholics, there again, you got to sponsor, sponsor or die if they would remain sober. That motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. You know, at the end of Bill's story, I love this. I love Bill's story. I just love it. But at the end of Bill's story, if you want to take a look with me at page 16 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 1616, keep your thumb or your finger in 159. It says, most of us feel we need look no further for utopia. We have it with us right here and now. Each day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. We're approaching or we're in, we're not approaching, we're in the Christmas season. And in the Christmas season, we hear and speak a lot about goodwill, to peace on earth and goodwill to men. And you know, right now I'm personally searching for something to buy some Buddy for the holiday. I, I haven't come up with anything. But anyway, uh, I'm hoping God will uh, aid and abet me in that search. But the bottom line is, is that I think the greatest thing that one person can give another person is a path away from their destruction and a path to God. And the way that we do that is through transmitting the spiritual information contained in a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. I have been given many gifts in my life. I have been given many gifts. I have had people be ge very generous with me throughout my life. I've had people that I didn't even deserve go out of their way to sponsor me and mentor me in this program. I've had many, many people walk shoulder to shoulder with me as we trudge the road of happy destiny. And never in my life have I been given anything that could compare to a person who helps me get closer to God and further away from Cool Whip and pizza and cookies and crap that killed me. The 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 omnipotent God that created my life so many years ago has never abandoned me. And when God needed my attention, he sent you, he sent people, people in recovery, people who spoke and understood the language of the heart. And when he sent you to me, I became happy and contented in a way that material things could never have given me. I have driven out of the showroom with brand new cars. I have bought condos and homes. I bought a home in, in, in several different states. I bought a home in Illinois. I bought a home in Oregon. I bought a home in Arizona, two of them in Arizona. I bought two homes in, in uh, Arizona. And the truth of the matter is, nothing can compare to the gift of abstinence and the freedom of self-hatred, the freedom from the doubt, the freedom from the fear, the freedom to be who I am, to speak my mind, and not be a chameleon trying to figure out and stay ahead of you. If you want me to be a Republican, I'll be a Republican. You want me to like red, I'll like red. Red is actually my favorite color. But if you want me to like green or blue or brown, I'll like whatever you want me to like. Just don't abandon me. I don't have to live that way any longer. That's freedom. That's where you fly to get up in the morning and not have to wonder, who should I be today? 
but to just be who you are and to know in your soul that who you are and what you are are perfectly fine, perfectly fine. If I say something or do something that you don't like and you run away from me, I'll be okay. The world is not going to come to an end. And you could not have convinced me of that years and years ago. That's where you fly. And that's the realm of the spirit. To be who and what you were born to be. And that only comes about through recovery. You see, there's so much more to this than just eating and not eating and weight. It just takes you a while to get there. I'm dealing with defects and dealing with behaviors today that I never even suspected five years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I never even knew that I needed to deal with these things. But God teaches me these things through others. And people come into my life. And all of a sudden, I realize, oh, my God. I need to work on something here that has nothing to do with the consumption of pizza. It's my selfishness. It's my fear. It's my whatever. But you don't get to that by continuing to eat because it's, that stagnates you to step one. You must move beyond that and move beyond it at a rate of speed that is as quick as you can get there. You have to get there as quickly as you can. Let's continue. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. The key word is gladly. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith is dead. I can't look at you and try to manipulate you with anything. I must have faith. And that makes my works so much better because the motive is pure. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith is dead. Because I know how to kiss your butt, but I don't know how to just serve God without the lessons I learned here. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead. So it's very, very important that when I work with somebody, I am altruistic in my motives. What is altruism? It means giving of oneself with no thought of a return. There cannot be the slightest expectation that I have that at some point you are going to come back around and that for every dime I gave you, you're going to give me a dollar. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead. Let's continue. They were willing by day or night to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterward. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures. But in those cases, they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving much worry and suffering. Do you get the impression why I get so upset when people say, my sponsor doesn't take calls on weekends or my sponsor's out of town? Really? You go out of town and you don't make yourself available to your sponsees? I go out of town a lot. I don't know if it's more than you go out of town or less than you. I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't, I don't have the statistics on it, but I go out of town. And I go out of town on average about once a month. My sponsees call me and I call my sponsors. Because this disease doesn't know from I'm out of town. This disease doesn't know from, oh, well, it's Sunday, so I can't call my sponsor. That's ridiculous. Who are you kidding? This is a seven day a week, 365, next year, 366 day a year disease. Next year is a leap year. 
all, all, all of our friends in Israel are looking at me going, what are you talking about? No, you guys have a leap month that happens. We have a leap year and it happens one day. You guys add a month every few years. We add a day every four years. So it's a little different than it is in Israel. But the bottom line is this disease is relentless. Don't you dare tell people you don't sponsor on the weekends. Don't make me come back there. Don't make me come back there. I'll turn this car around. Don't you dare do that. You have to sponsor and be sponsored every single day of your life because a solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient. And I need sponsorship to show me graphically in words where I'm nuts. What am I thinking today or what am I relying upon that is on a bedrock of, of untruths? What am I relying upon knowledge-wise that is erroneous? Many of the things I believe are actually not true. They're not true. And that's, that's just what I know about myself. And that is not everything I think is fact. Don't do that to people and don't allow it to be done to you. If you have the type of situation where you can't call the person on weekends, take a look at that. Really and truly, take a look at that. All right, this next paragraph is very important, and I meant to get it about 10 minutes ago, but I got off on some tangents over here and repetitive things, and I didn't get to it, but I'm going to get to it now. Now, I want you to remember that we're talking about January the 1st, 1937. A year and six months later, that's a year and six months after June of 35, these three has succeeded with seven more. So in the entire world of Alcoholics Anonymous were 10 people, 10 people in the whole world. They clung to each other like they were glued to each other. They didn't have free long distance on their cell phone so they could call random numbers and say, I need to do a 10 step. There were 10 people in the whole world of recovery, seeing much of each other, scarce an evening past that someone's home did not shelter a little gathering of men and women. The wives used to come, the children used to come, the wives would congregate in the kitchen and the men in the living room. Happy in their release. Happy in their release. That's so key. You see, I'm, I have 24 years abstinence. And I'm thrilled about it. But when I'm dieting with group support, I'm not happy about it at all. I'd give anything to get away with eating some crap and nobody finding out about it. Happy in their release. And that's what impressed Bill about Ebby that night in November of 1934. That Ebby was not only not drinking, but he was happy about it. And that's what got Bill's attention. Bill saw that there was something about Ebby that was different from what he had experienced at any time in his first two hospitalizations. Bill saw alcoholics and heavy drinkers and moderate drinkers at the town's hospital not drinking, but they weren't happy about it. And that's why Bill will say, I saw, I felt, I believe. What did he see? He saw recovery. Recovery is when people are not eating and they're happy in their release. He saw, he felt. What did he feel? He felt hope. What did he believe? That God could and would if God were sought. He knew now that if he turned his life over to God, through the working of the steps, that somehow God would do for him what he could not do for himself. And that is, he never found it necessary to drink ever again. 
and he died on January 26th, 1971, during my junior year of high school. <clears throat> Constantly thinking about how they may present their discovery to some newcomer. Not constantly thinking about a scheme, not constantly thinking about a plot to secretly drink, but they wanted to present this to a newcomer. In addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone or everyone. I'm at the top of 160, interested in a spiritual way of life. Aside from fellowship and sociability, the prime object was to provide a time and place where new people might bring their problems. Now, when we say new people can bring their problems, do we mean they came and they sat around and bitched about their wife? No. Are we talking about how the dry cleaner ruined their pants? No. Are they talking about how, how their, their dog ran away? No. They're talking about their problems, meaning they're drinking and it's killing them. No problem jumps beyond that. They're drinking too much. Their marriages are in the toilet. Their relationship with their children is in the toilet. Their relationship with their boss is in the toilet. Their relationship with the bank is in the toilet. Their bills are in arrear. Their car, if they have one, is smashed to smithereens. They have no relationship with friends or family. They have isolated themselves because of this disease, and there seems to be nowhere to turn. And what is at the base of it? They're drinking alcoholically and they cannot stop or they can't seem to see how to stop. So when we look at this paragraph, we see the beginnings of the meetings and we see what a meeting is for. A meeting is not to dump. Bring your mess to the sponsor. Bring your message of hope to the meeting. I'm going to say it again. Bring your mess to the sponsor. Bring your message to the meeting. Don't come here where there's newcomers and bitch and moan and complain about this one and that one. What kind of signal are you sending these people? You're sending them a signal that this doesn't work. Bring the message of your recovery to the meeting. Bring your mess to the sponsor. Okay, very, very important. Very important. Remember that when you come to the meeting, they're watching you. They don't know that you're not, you may or may not be doing the work. They don't know who's in recovery and who's not necessarily. All they know is what they see and what they hear. They're new. So if you don't have something to say that's a message of hope, for God's sakes, quiet. Take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. Take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. Let's finish with the next paragraph and then we'll be done. Outsiders became interested. One man and his wife placed their large home at the disposal of this strangely assorted crowd. That would be in Akron, T. Henry and Claris Williams. T. Henry and Claris Williams. They donated their home to the meetings once a week. Very important. This couple has since become so fascinated that they have dedicated their home to the work. Very staunch members of the Oxford group, and they would open their home to the alcoholics to have meeting. Many a distracted wife has visited this house to find loving and understanding companionship among women who knew her problem, 
to hear from the lips of their husbands what had happened to them, to be advised how her own wayward mate may be, might be hospitalized and approached when next he stumbled. And this is the beginning of the Al-Anon movement, although no one knew it at the time. Al-Anon will be founded in 1950, I believe, by Anne Bingham and Lois Wilson. The misconception about Al-Anon is that it was founded by Ann Smith and Lois Wilson. That is not factually correct. We have no evidence to support that. Uh, Al-Anon was founded by Ann Bingham and Lois Wilson. But this is the beginnings of your Al-Anon program is the men would sit around and talk about how they drink or how they don't drink. And the women would sit around and say, I whomped him with a shovel. I did this. I did that. If you've ever seen the movie about Lois Wilson, it's a very beautiful film. It's called When Love is Not Enough. And it is the Lois Wilson story. And it stars Winona Ryder as Lois Wilson. Winona Ryder. And um, I forgot who plays Bill Wilson, but he's very good. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff uh, too. But Winona Ryder does a very good job of portraying Lois Wilson. And the name of the movie, so you don't have to ask me later, is When Love is Not Enough, the Lois Wilson story. That's the name of the film. I recommend it. I recommend it as, as heartily as I can recommend anything. Very, very well done film. Very factually correct. Very historically correct. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't find one, you know, uh, error in it historically. And, you know, not that I'm the judge and the jury, but I didn't find anything wrong with it. Uh, okay, so we've got the beginnings of, well, let's, yeah, let's do one more paragraph. Many a man, I'm on 160, many a man yet days from his hospital experience has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom, true freedom. Many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. He succumbed to that gay crowd inside who laughed at their own misfortunes and understood his. Impressed by those who visited him at the hospital, he capitulated entirely when later in an upper room of this house, this house meaning Dr. Bob's house, he heard the story of some man who experience, whose experience closely tallied with that with his own. The expression on the faces of the women, that indefinable something in the eyes of the men, the stimulating and electric atmosphere of the place conspired to let him know that here was haven at last. So he found people that spoke and understood the language of the heart. And for the very first time in this person's life, they were in contact with someone else who were afflicted with alcoholism and they found a way not to drink and they found a way not only not to drink, but they are happy in their release. And that is so very important to have found that. I never in my wildest imagination ever believed that there were people who thought about food like I did and who ate like I did. I thought that these things, these ideas were unique unto me, these behaviors. And I found that they are not at all unique. And when you find that, that there is hope that if these people recovered, maybe I can too. That's very, very important. Okay. Uh, before I turn this over, I want to remind you that the OA birthday is coming up January the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th. I'm doing the big book study this year downstairs, and there's going to be a ton of wonderful, wonderful meetings, flying people in from all over creation to do some really good meetings. Some of the voices you hear on vision all the time are going to be speakers. We're going to have 
an opening ceremony and a Saturday all day meetings and a luncheon speaker and a dinner speaker and a dance and socializing. And Sunday, we're going to have a, a, a closing speaker. We're going to have the sober eating workshop. We're going to have a sponsor, sponsee meet and greet. We're going to have a vision meet and greet. Scottsdale people will be there. This is not something that you want to miss because it's once it's a once a year thing. You don't want to miss this. I'm telling you, go to oabirthday.com, oabirthday.com. Couldn't be easier. Get your room. Don't leave Sunday before the closing ceremony at noon. Uh, don't leave before then. You'll be sorry if you do. Uh, lots of good things. This program will change for you once you get there because you'll expand your God squad. You'll hear some great things. And you know what? It'll start to chip away at your disease. Okay. We're going to open her up for questions and answers. No violating the rules. No math questions, no food questions.